Kathy Hersgard, SDHR, Senior Professional on Human Resources, Vice President of Human Resources at 360 Mortgage Group, LLC, specializes in employee benefits and shares with us experiences throughout her illustrious career. Could you tell me a little bit about your business? Okay, well, we are um, located here in Austin, Texas. We are a technology company that just happens to do mortgages. So we have an emphasis on technology all throughout our organization and all of our processes and uh, dealing with our customers as much as possible. Okay, and you're specifically in the human resources department, right? That is correct. Okay, so tell me a little bit about how you started your career in human resources. Okay, it was kind of an accident. Uh, my degree is actually in what human resources used to be called, which is personnel management. I started out as an accounting major, and about three semesters in, I decided this is not for me. So I went to my advisor and said, well, what else can I do that I don't have to start all over? And so I was guided into personnel management without even really knowing what it was. Um, but I uh, got into the coursework and decided I liked it and was fortunate enough to land a job as a personnel uh, assistant in a uh, human resources, aka personnel department, right out of college. Wow, that doesn't happen very it often. It does not happen very often, and I've been here ever since. Okay, so how many years, and I don't want you to date yourself, but how many years have you been a professional? A little over 30 years. Okay, so you would be an expert in your field, I think? I would hope so, yes. Okay. <laughs> what makes you passionate about being in human resources? I think it's about being involved in the whole life cycle of an employee. Uh, no, that's when it started. Oh, it did? Okay. Yes. So tell me a little bit about that. Uh, well, after I entered into uh, a, a role in human resources, uh, I became very involved in our local chapter of, of SHRM. Uh, it was in Colorado at the time. And from there, then, I learned about designations. And initially, I became a, um, a PHR, Professional in Human Resources, uh, through SHRM and uh, their programs. That was in the early 90s. And then in 1997, I received my Senior Professional in Human Resources designation through SHRM. Uh, and so I've been a, a SPHR for over 20 years now. And then most recently, SHRM has, we're still um, go, uh, providing the, the, that designation, but they've added another designation as well that they are working more closely within their organization with, and that's the SHRM SCR, which is the Senior Certified Professional. And I've had that designation as well for the last two or three years. Okay, and for those who may not know, what does SHRM stand for? SHRM is the Society for Human Resource Management. Uh, they are the uh, largest human resource organization in the country, if not in the world, I'm pretty sure. Uh, they are headquartered just out of Washington, D.C. Uh, they do a lot of uh, education, uh, seminars, conferences, and there are many local chapters scattered all throughout the country. I've had the good fortune to being very involved in uh, chapters in Colorado as well as more recently in Texas uh, area here. So your education really, as you stated, began when you got your degree and Correct. you've continued over the last 30 years in this industry. Correct. How do you think that that education has actually helped you better be a better human resources professional? Well, 
it has ensured that I kept current over all these years. I could have, I went to school, I know what I'm doing. If I had done that all those many years ago, I would be so out of date and so uh, last century. Uh, but it has made sure that I am current on what is going on, what the trends are, any legal changes. There's so many legal things going on in our, uh, in my, this whole career here that uh, keeps, keeps me up to date. Uh, it keeps me networked so I can talk with others who, uh, hey, I tried this, hey, I did it, that didn't work. You know, we can, we can share horror stories as well as uh, share successes. And uh, so that's been a real key too, is just the networking component of the organization. Does it keep stoking your passion? Yeah, yeah, because then I'll meet somebody new to the field or new ad, uh, and I see their enthusiasm because they're just getting started, and that gets me excited. And then I want to share some of my knowledge with them as well. So yes, that definitely it, it keeps keeps something burning there. I'm not sure what. So education is key. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I'm a long proponent in all types of education. What makes you passionate about being in human resources? I think it's about being involved in the whole life cycle of an employee uh, from uh, hiring to paying them, you know, compensation, benefits, uh, employee relations. It's, it's being involved in that full circle uh, dealing with the, the employees. It's, about uh, making sure they have the right tools in the right place at the right time so that they can be successful, so the organization can be successful. Speaking a little bit to that, I can imagine it's exciting for you to see someone go through the different life stages as well. Mm -hmm. Starting as a young employee, maybe they're single, then they get married, have a family. Exactly, yes. And so being a part of that and making sure that they are being as productive as they can to make sure that the organization is as productive as it can be. What are some of your responsibilities as the Vice President of Human Resources here? Uh, well, it's a medium-sized company. We are probably average about 150 employees over the last few years. And as the head of HR, I'm in charge of virtually everything that the employees touch, from uh, the recruiting, onboarding, uh, compensation, benefits, uh, employee relations, uh, I'm forgetting many things I'm sure, but uh, payroll, making sure we're, we're paying, uh, safety, culture I think is a big piece of that as well and, and what we are projecting to our employees and, and, uh, and who we are to the rest of the world is a big part of, of what I do here. Okay. And then uh, how is the demographics of your firm here? Tell me a little bit about that with your mix of employees. Okay. As I mentioned before, we consider ourselves to be a technology company. So as you might expect, we are a very fairly young organization. Our average employee is in their very early 30s. Uh, I've got a lot of very young, right, we do a lot of recruiting from the colleges. So I have a lot of people you know, uh, in their very early 20s. Uh, in the total scope of things, we actually have very few people uh, with the number of years of experience that I would have, or we have a few others on board, but overall we're a very young organization, uh, probably a little bit more heavy female 
uh, than male, but that when the organization first started, it was predominantly female, but we're seeing more and more men actually coming into this industry as well. Okay, so you have a good mix. Yes, definitely. Okay, all right. And let's talk a little bit about your benefits plan for your employees. Can you tell me what that looks like? Uh, it's a pretty comprehensive plan, uh, offering a broad array. We have the, you know, the standard medical, dental, vision, uh, the life and disability products. We have some supplemental uh, products that they can participate in. Uh, we, of course, have retirement funds, 401ks. Uh, we've had pension plans, uh, wellness programs, uh, and I think one part of the benefits program that might not be considered like a normal type, of, it's not like mainstream thing, or, but what we consider part of the benefits is our culture here. So we do a lot of perks for employees, uh, for the employees as well as their families, events, and getting people involved, and that's also a big part of what I'm involved in here is organizing things to promote our culture and, and show that we can have fun here. We work really hard. We staff very, very skinny, uh, but we want to make sure that we're taking care of people, so uh, we do a lot of fun things as well. Work hard, play hard. There you go. Yes. Sounds like a very robust compensation plan. It's very, very robust. Okay. and why why is that? Why would you have an employee benefits program at all? You just have to. Yeah, it just, that's a, a question there that, you know, it's being promoted lately with Affordable Care Act and people saying you have to do this. It's like, well, we've always done that. Years and years before we were mandated to supply benefits, it's, for one thing, the right thing to do, uh, but really more importantly, it's part of that whole life cycle of the employee and making sure that they have what they need to be able to be successful in their jobs. If uh, we didn't provide medical insurance and somebody gets sick, they're going to be worried about how are they going to pay the bills. Well, if I can take that worry away from them by providing an employee benefit, uh, that just makes them more productive when they are here. Um, to be competitive uh, somewhat, uh, that plays into it, but you just, you have to have that basic in order to get people to apply at all. So I don't know that ours are better than anybody else's benefits, but um, I think we have a way of explaining and promoting our benefits to people that make them very attractive to our employee base. Okay, so part of that is to attract the talent as yes. well, right? Yes, Okay. definitely. Okay. What are your responsibilities communicating and establishing the benefits? It's all about the communication. It uh, doesn't matter how good your benefits are if employees do not understand what it is that they have, they, they're not going to value them. So it is my responsibility here to make sure that employees uh, I can't make them understand the benefits but I can it's my responsibility to provide them all the information in a manner in which they can understand. So not to be writing in benefit ease, uh, writing uh, any communications or any presentations I do so that they can understand what they are. So it's key. Communication is what it's all about. Even if they're the best benefits in the world, if they don't understand them, they're worthless to those employees. 
And you're kind of the one-stop shop here, right? Yes. So they come to you with everything. They come to me with everything, everything. That's a blessing and a curse, right? It is, it is. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about those benefits. You touched on this before. I think the misconception is when you think benefits, it's really just medical related. Is that true? Absolutely not. No, there are benefits as a whole array. Uh, there's certain benefits that are legally required, uh, such as Social Security and other and workers' comp and things that we are mandated to do. But it goes, and then there's the medical, the dental, the things that we most commonly think about. But it goes so far beyond there. Your uh, PTO um, or vacation, whatever your organization has. We happen to have a consolidated PTO plan here. Um, and it's culture, it's, it's everything falls into that benefits blanket there. Okay. So when you're talking with a prospective employee mm -hmm. or is onboarding someone, right. when you're talking about the compensation package, does the benefit portion Absolutely. come into Okay. Tell me yes. a little bit about that. Uh, well, uh, the, the pay is good. We always want to get paid, but it's the benefits are another part of that total compensation package. Uh, every year we do for our employees produce a total compensation uh, picture for them, individualized, uh, showing them uh, their salary as well as the cost of the benefits that the company is contributing, uh, the value of their time off, the other perks that we're throwing in. So our employees generally have a pretty good idea that, yeah, their base salary might be 50000 but when you throw this everything else on, they're actually uh, costing the company 80000 and so that's part of their, their total compensation package. Okay. And do you find with being transparent with that information that it really drives employee satisfaction? I think so. They don't feel that they're being taken advantage of, especially, you know, the rising cost of benefits. Uh, we all, we've all seen it. Uh, you're more and more coming out of our paychecks and don't feel like we're getting as much for our, our money as we used to. But when they see that, okay, yeah, I'm paying more, but look how much more the comp, you know, then it makes them feel a little bit better about what's coming out of their paycheck. So, yes. More of a partnership, I would imagine. Yes, exactly. Okay. How involved are you in designing that plan for the benefits with selecting a broker or a TPA? Oh, complete. Uh, very, very involved. Uh, in fact, I just went through this process last year um, looking for, I had a broker who was doing a fine job, but I just felt that our organization was at a spot where I needed more from my broker. So I did go out and uh, interviewed, met with many different organizations to see what they had to offer. Because uh, from, from an employer point of view, I don't really pay the broker. The broker ends up getting their fees as commissions from the insurance. So it doesn't cost me more for broker A over broker B, but by talking with them and what they were going to do for me, how they could help me to help my employees, I went through that process and talked with many different organizations and finally settled on one. Uh, I did bring my owners. We are a, um, a limited liability company here with a couple of owners. Got them involved. Said, this is uh, who I want to work with, and here's what they're going to do to help us. Uh, and I had to have their final blessing, but 
uh, all the legwork, uh, the decision was pretty much made uh, by me, but I needed, I needed to get it blessed by our, our owners. And when you decided on your new broker, mm -hmm. was it just the lowest cost? Was that what you were looking for? No, it, cost had nothing to do with it. It was, what can they do for me? How are they going to help me? Um, how can they help me determine if the benefit package we're putting together is right for my uh, employees? I know it was right, what I had was right for my employees five years ago. Has my group changed? Am I providing the right stuff? Am I um, pricing it correctly? Because, uh, you know, the, I get a certain price when I buy my insurance from Humana or Aetna or whatever, but I need to share that cost with my employees. So uh, help me figure out what that uh, cost sharing should be. Help me to present, uh, put together materials to explain the benefit. So I was looking at who was going to do the best job of helping me to um, successfully um, present benefits and, and, and get through the, the whole benefit. There's all the legal parts as well, the 5500s and the uh, COBRA and ERISA and all that. Somebody helped me navigate all the way through the system as well as help me, help my employees navigate when they do have claims issues and questions. I'm a, always a resource for my employees, but I'm one person and there's 150 of them. So uh, if you've got benefit questions, uh, who else can you go to? So I, I found somebody who that was one of the things they could really help me out with. Okay, so it wasn't really just about price and what they could bring to the table. It was more about a collaboration and making you feel as if they were a trusted advisor. Exactly. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the Affordable Care Act. Okay. I know that that is changing uh, day by day, minute by minute, it seems. Right. Has that had an impact on your firm's benefit package? Uh, on the benefit package, probably not so much, but on us as an organization, it has. There's more reporting that has to be done. Um, I guess one of the things I am seeing is uh, directly related to Affordable Care Act is I have more employees keeping their older dependent children on the plan, part one. Part two, I mentioned we hire a lot of recent college graduates. They're not coming on my benefit plans, they're staying on mom and dad's plans. Okay. So I'm seeing that, which is kind of hurtful in that those people are obviously they're the youngest and usually the healthiest. So when I lose those off of my plan, it potentially could be hurting me in my, my rates uh, down the road. But I haven't seen that part, but I'm, it's something to keep an eye on that the young, young people are staying with mom and dad instead of coming on employer plans. Interesting. That's an interesting little twist I hadn't even thought about. Yes. Okay. When you do have changes and differences in your packages, do you have challenges communicating that out to your employees with the benefit versus the cost? Uh, I don't know if that's a difficulty, but it's just something I do. I mean, every year something changes. So we do run benefit meetings live and in person. Uh, I also 
should mention that not all of my employees are here in Austin, Texas. I have remote employees scattered all across the country, so we do have to do web meetings uh, to introduce those changes. Um, but as far as it being a problem or anything like that, no, it's just, uh, you know, sometimes the news isn't always great. Uh, so you just have to find a way, find a, the best way, or there's always something good to go along. So we kind of promote the things that are, uh, here's the plus side of it, but okay, but here's the giveaway or the, the, the takeaway is it's going to cost you more, but there's usually something I can use to promote to, to make it not quite so hard to swallow with having a price increase. Just a little yeah, bit. Exactly. Okay. Well, I think possibly a benefit is that we're hearing about it in the news, so it shouldn't come yes. as a complete shock. Correct. Okay. Yes. Some, yeah, sometimes I can just blame it on, on that. <laughs> So talking a little bit about the news, we'll go back to that. We're hearing more and more buzzwords about consumer-driven healthcare. Yes. Have you implemented that here at Absolutely. your firm? Absolutely. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that, what that really means, okay. and how your employees have responded to that concept. Uh, this is something I'm excited to talk about here. We first introduced our uh, high deductible health plan that was HSA eligible back, it was about, 2010-2011. First year we rolled it out along with a couple of more traditional type of plans. Uh, I think I had four people sign up for that plan and I didn't understand it myself all that well uh, but it was attractive to people because it was really inexpensive compared to my other plans. So during that first year I had a few people on it and talking to them and say, well, how's it going? Well, they're saying this is working out really well for me. So that's then when I started really playing with numbers. And I started uh, looking at myself and saying, okay, well, I would be saving X amount in premium. And then at the end of the year, I realized I never went to the doctor once other than I, for a, a checkup. So I just spent a whole lot of money on that you know, next step plan and I, I could have saved money. And so that's when I started building tools uh, and uh, so that my employees could use them to plug in. How many times have you been to the doctor? Uh, and you know, how many prescriptions do you have? Uh, some five or six real basic questions that they could answer and it would plug in then and show them, well, under that scenario, uh, our high deductible health plan is going to end up costing you this many dollars for the year between what you're going to pay out of your pocket and what you're going to pay in premium. And here's for plan B and here's for plan C. And then you can really look at the, the dollar savings. And then plus, if you go, then I boned up on health savings accounts, the actual bank accounts and how those worked. And then I started really putting together materials to help employees understand what a health savings account really is and to think about it as similar to an IRA and how those you could get those dollars to really really work for them. So that was the second year we offered the HSA plan. I myself switched over to the HSA plan and a little over 50% of our employees switched over as well. Through the years I have become a firm firm proponent of health savings and high deductible health plans. 
I have at this point in time 98% of all of our employees on high deductible health plans. We've expanded over the years into a different, a couple different options that still qualify. Uh, we do, as an employer, uh, put some money into health savings accounts for people. It's pretty minimal. It is $600 a year. It's a matching plan. If they put at least that much in, I'm going to put that much in. So I don't think that's the driving cost. I, they're a driving factor to get people into them. It's just when they actually look at dollars and cents, then it starts to make sense for people. For sure. Yeah. And I can tell just by your body language that you are passionate about this. I am. And I think that comes out when you said that you created tools mm -hmm. to help yourself understand, but then help your employees understand really where the cost savings were. Exactly. Okay. We mentioned a few different acronyms there, FSAs, HSAs, yes. HRAs. Let's take each one. Let's okay. explain what they what it is and what that acronym actually stands for. Okay. So let's start with FSA. FSA, flexible spending account. Flexible spending accounts have been around with us since the mid 80s. Uh, they were authorized by the IRS and uh, they were put into place to help imp uh, people uh, save taxes on some of the costs that they knew they were going to have. Uh, in particular here we are focusing on the medical ones and so uh, the IRS says that employees can set aside money using tax-free dollars to pay for certain uh, expenses that they would have to pay out of their pockets such as deductibles, uh, co-pays, uh, dental, vision expenses, anything health related really. Uh, been around since that time. Uh, the main caveat with those flexible spending accounts is that they are use it or use it, use it or lose it uh, within that calendar year. Now there's some, uh, you can have some grace periods or some carryovers, but for the most part, if you say put $2,000 into this account, you need to be planning on spending it during that calendar year or that plan year. Um, there's also ones for dependent care, uh, and now that with, with the uh, advent of health savings accounts, there's a brand new type of flexible spending account called a limited use flexible spending account uh, that you can use if you have a HSA, but only for dental and vision related expenses can you use a limited one okay. for. So those are the FSAs. And those are pre-tax, right? So they're all pre-tax, yes. Okay. Now HSA, what does that stand for? Health savings account. Let's talk about that. And that you become eligible for if you are participating in a high deductible health plan and do not have other coverage, uh, like through a, a spouse's plan, that sort of thing, or Medicare. But basically you're in that health, high deductible health plan. Uh, with this plan, you can set aside uh, up, it depends on whether you have single or family coverage, but it's in the mid uh, 3000s and uh, it's 6900 for family coverage uh, that you can set aside into these plans for 2018 because the IRS has flip-flopped on that dollar amount twice this year. They've never done that before. This is the year they're flip-flopping. Um, an employer can also contribute to a health savings account for you uh, and that money works a lot like the flexible spending accounts any money coming out of your check is pre-tax or you can um, if you don't do it pre-tax you could claim it on your taxes at the end of the year 
funds can be used for anything health-related for you or your family members, uh, pretty much. Uh, but the advantage here is those funds can roll from year to year to year. You do not have to use that. Uh, you can pull that money out, though, at any time if you wanted to by paying for non-medical reasons. You would have tax consequences, uh, penalties and such. But if you wanted to use it to buy a boat, you can buy a boat. Uh, however, when you hit retirement age, at that point, you can pull that money out for any reason and just pay normal taxes on it. However, if you ever use that money for anything medically related, it's always a tax-free benefit. Wow, it's a lot of information on one little, oh, one little thing. One little thing. That's, okay. that's why I'm passionate. Okay, so the last one, the HRA, what does uh -huh. that stand for? And then let's talk about the details. Okay, the HRA is the Health Reimbursement Account. Uh, and it is again similar, it is uh, money that you can use to pay for health-related expenses. However, that one is fully funded by the employer and it can grow from year to year. However, those funds do not belong to the employee specifically. They retain, the employer retains uh, those funds if you do not use them. However, it can grow from year to year, but if you were to leave the organization, you're going to lose those funds. But again, anything health-related, you will be able to use those funds for, um, kind of depending though on how the employer has set up the parameters for that health reimbursement account. Are those very common, the HRAs? Not as common, I don't believe, as the HSAs. Uh, I have never uh, had one of those or worked with them, um, but uh, they're, they're fairly common, but I think HSA is the way most organizations are heading these days. And are you finding more people are enrolling in the FSA and the HSA programs than they were before? Um, HSAs definitely. I'm seeing a decline in the FSAs. I've got 90, I guess I had 90 plus percent of my employees taking advantage of the high deductible plans and the HSAs. Generally speaking, you cannot have an FSA and an HSA at the same time. But they've now introduced that limited use FSA. And that I'm seeing being used when people have specific uh, large expenditures for dental or vision, maybe someone who's planning on laser surgery for their eyes or teenagers or themselves with dental getting orthodontia. Uh, th that's what I see the uh, limited use FSAs being used for. But I'm very, my, you know, 15 years ago, uh, I had a very, very high participation in FSA accounts. I see that dwindling and people moving more into the HSAs with more flexibility. Okay. You talked a little bit before about the tools that you created yes. to help the employees understand mm -hmm. really what the programs for the high deductible health plan were and what the benefits could be realized there. What other tools are at your disposal or do you provide to the employees so they really understand the concept in this consumer health care? Uh, some of those tools come directly from our health provider. Uh, their website has lots of tools there um, for finding doctors in network. That's a big thing. You know, as you move into that uh, high deductible health plan, you become a better health care consumer. You ask more questions. Uh, you know, the doctor uh, says, here, I want to run these tests. And you 
ask more questions like, okay, but what's it going to tell us? What are we going to learn from these tests? Is it going to change how we treat uh, my illness or what's going on? If not, then why bother? But if it's important, yes, let's do it. So, uh, or medicines, I see that a lot too. The doctor prescribes a medicine. They go to the pharmacy and they find out that under that high deductible health plan, this is going to cost them $150 a month. Go back to their doctor, is this, um, is there another drug that would be as effective that's going to cost me less money? So on the websites, there are tools where our employees can go out and shop for pharmacy. Uh, you know, if they have a certain drug, they can see what is it going to cost me when I go to the pharmacy, and is it going to cost me a different amount from one pharmacy to another? Um, there are tools on there uh, for uh, finding doctors, for getting input on the doctors. Uh, you know, what do other patients have to say about them? Their quality ratings, that type of thing. Uh, so. Uh, tools for being better healthcare consumers, and those a lot are coming directly from the, the insurance provider right there. There's also tools on their phone um, uh, that they can access those, so there's apps directly to our, our medical provider. Uh, there are wellness apps that uh, we try to promote as well. So what kind of wellness programs do you offer at this firm? Well, we have um, our own little homegrown program that I'm not thrilled with. It's not real robust, but it was a start. And basically, uh, we've asked employees to keep a log of like a pedometer log or a uh, if they go to the gym, how many minutes they work out, and then they can turn in those logs once a month to uh, earn prizes, that sort of thing. It's kind of a good start, but it's not uh, really, we, it doesn't have any metrics and we're not measuring how effective we are with that. However, in the last few months, we have connected much more with our healthcare provider and they have a, a whole wet wellness program through them. Um, it's the Go365 is the name of their program and I'm working very diligently to get more engagement from our employees into their program. Um, it has dual benefits to it. The employees themselves by participating and they participate by similar things to what we started with. If you wear a pedometer it will um, track points with them. Uh, there's points for participating in a health risk assessment, for doing um, biometric screenings, uh, going, getting your checkups, uh, um, uh, pap smears, vision, uh, checkups, dental appointments, that sort of thing you get points for. And they can, they can then turn those points into uh, prizes or points or bucks, I think they call them, and they can go shopping in their mall uh, and get gift certificates or bikes if they really save up their points, all kinds of fun stuff. It has the added benefit to us, the employer, in that if I can get a certain percentage of our employees participating at certain levels, we are going to have a reduced uh, increase in our, our, when our renewal comes up here. They'll take whatever our, uh, when it runs through the underwriting, this is what your new price is going to be. I say increase because that's kind of the way they usually go. And, but then once the, it gets through underwriting based on 
my wellness plan participation, they will lower it a certain uh, percentage based on our participation. So I'm looking at that, which will help the organization, will reduce our costs, and then hopefully we'll be able to pass those price reductions onto our employees as well. You mentioned that enrollment isn't as robust, again, that you would like to see. Uh -huh. Why do you think that that is? Uh, people are busy. That's a big part of it. Um, I think uh, we're in a, a day and age, you know, with Facebook and privacy and people are worried that by participating, by uh, doing the health risk assessment, those sorts of things that somehow their privacy is going to be invaded. I never see any of those results. I just know who's done it and who hasn't. Uh, I don't care what they're, I mean, I want everyone to be healthy, but it doesn't matter to us. It's just more awareness for them. So I think privacy uh, comes into play. Um, and just, there's just a certain number of people who are just here for their paycheck and they don't want to get involved any more than that. I don't think we have too many of those, but I think it's time and privacy are the two big ones. Okay. So the two takeaways that I had from that was one, you don't see any of that data. Never, no. So that so the privacy, I think maybe if there was more communication to let right. the employee know that you actually don't see it, they're you're not seeing all their numbers. And then two, the benefit for them is that your cost goes down and the employee's cost then goes down. I don't think it's and the privacy, I think, is even further. It's not that I'm going to see it. It's what is the, you know, the big insurance company going to do with that data? Are they going to be selling it to uh, some other organization? Sure. So I think there's there's concerns there. Okay, that's fair. Mm -hmm. Okay, do you offer any type of voluntary programs here that someone might consider outside of the norm? I think all of ours are pretty much mainstream. We do have a lot of um, supplemental benefits, um, but there's nothing really out of the ordinary here at this point in time. Okay. Always something to look at, though. What are some of those supplemental benefits that you do offer? Uh, cancer insurance and um, accident insurance, the, those types of, of policies. Okay, so. let's talk about that. So the cancer insurance, um, can you explain that to me? Not well. <laughs> okay, yeah, there's my Achilles heel. Uh, it's uh, a policy that if someone uh, is diagnosed with certain, there's like a dollar amount attached to different types of cancers. Uh, so if, if you get a uh, bone cancer, it's worth X number of dollars. Uh, lung cancer is X, um, breast cancer a certain amount. So it's a flat dollar amount. Plus, I think they can, if they're hospitalized, they can get certain other payments as well. Right, so, so it's similar to an AD&D &D policy. Yes, for a particular, very much so. for a particular instance, case. you get this flat dollar amount. Yes. And that's designed to help with the out-of-pocket expenses exactly. associated, right? Above and beyond, yes. Okay. And then what was the other one that you were? Uh, an accident. An accident, okay. Which is exactly what you're so talking about. So for a broken arm, you get this accident. much. Mm -hmm. Okay, for yes. an ER hospital or a hospitalization, you get this flat yes. dollar amount. And I am seeing an increase in participation in that with the high deductible health plan people uh, because it does cover things. Uh, you know, they know with my case, our plan is a $5,000 deductible. So if uh, I've got teenagers and they play softball 
if uh, Junior slides into home, wins the game, but breaks his leg, I'm going to be out several hundred, if not a few thousand dollars. So uh, I'm seeing, especially ones with teenagers or things that uh, are, are people who are weary about uh, accidents, I've seen an increased participation in those plans over the last year or two. Okay. Well, you talked a little bit earlier about the claims process. Mm -hmm. How involved are you with that claims process with the employee? Not as much as I used to be several years ago, but with HIPAA and privacy, I don't get as involved as I used to. However, that is something that my broker is very willing to help me out with. Um, they, they are, of course, are bound by HIPAA, but uh, I will, if someone comes to me and they've got something minor, I'll say, well, why don't you try doing this or that? But to get more involved, my broker can really, they've got a, a, a whole help desk type of thing where they uh, have a crew there that my employees can call in and say, I'm having trouble with this, and they will jump right in there and try to help them. Another thing that they do uh, for my employees, which I have done in the past, but I, it's time consuming. If we have an employee who has a uh, ongoing illness or they have got a lot of medical bills, and that gets very, very overwhelming. Who is, I've got a $5,000 deductible, but who do I owe money to? Because uh, I've been to the doctor, I've been to the hospital, I've had these tests done, uh, to try to make sense of the explanation of benefits, the EOBs, and they will actually go through everything for that employee and figure it all out, map it out and say, okay, well, here's where uh, this went and here's uh, your deductible, how it's been satisfied, so therefore you're going to owe this doctor this amount and this is what you owe the hospital and really you know, help the, them navigate that whole nightmare of those EOBs that come in when something extensive is going on. Okay, so that's a value that they bring Absolutely. along with being the trusted advisor is that now they're really helping with the claims coordination process. Absolutely, yes. Okay, and I'm sure that brings a huge peace of mind to your employee who might be suffering through that condition. Right. They've got so much, they've got something going on medically or, you know, with a member of their family and they just don't have the tools and, and it's just something that really bothers them and, you know, they worry about, but if somebody can lay it all out for them, it's that peace of mind. It, it helps them be more protective for me when they're at work. Right, absolutely. What type of apps or technology is available to help them through that process short of picking up the phone and calling someone? It's pretty much pick up the phone on, on that particular one, yes. Um, yeah, the, the, it's, it's a 24-hour hotline though that they can just call anytime with any kind of benefits uh, issue, but I don't, at this point, they don't have a, a website that they can go online with okay. so but there's always our website my, uh, my our HRS system and there's a lot of answers there all the summary plan descriptions all of that is there but when someone's in the middle of the night and they're having a problem they're not going to want to read a summary plan description to figure things out so uh, the picking up the phone and calling is probably a much better option absolutely to hear that voice on the other end of the line yes how has the technology industry since you're now a technology firm mm -hmm. that happens to dabble in mortgages, how has the technology just changed the face of the consumer healthcare market? Oh, it's night and day, night and day. <laughs> I am thinking back, as we talked about, I've been doing uh, human resources and benefits for over 30 years. Uh, that was the dark ages 
back then compared to where we are now. But, um, oh, just every little thing from ID cards are now on an app on your phone. Uh, so uh, every time I've got an employee, I can't, because we do still mail out the hard, the actual cards, but uh, used to be uh, I would get at least one a week, somebody, I lost my ID card, can you get me a new one? And now I just say, sure, here, go to blah, 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 and give them the instructions to download the app, or I guess the first question I ask nowadays is, have you downloaded the app? And it's right there, so uh, ID cards, so access to healthcare is all on technology. Um, the tools, I mentioned the tools I've developed, uh, those are those make use of technology so they can plug things in and, and see what's going on. Um, just uh, finding a doctor is all technology driven now. Uh, so it's uh, really all about technology and, and healthcare. And then when they get to the doctor, whatever they're going to be doing to them is all using high technology. So. Well, I imagine it gives you much more data as well Absolutely. when you're making these decisions for benefits and programs. Absolutely, yes. We talked a bit about at the very beginning, mm -hmm. as a consumer, and we're seeing in the media that the healthcare costs are just skyrocketing. Yes. I can imagine you're seeing the same thing as an employer. Yes. Are we seeing huge spikes, or is this a gradual increase? It's gradual. I don't care what they say about uh, Affordable Care Act and the things. Going back from my tenure in this career, it's it's consistent. Uh, there were a few years uh, back in the 80s where I saw much larger price increases than what we're seeing now. Uh, but the difference now, I think why it's becoming more alarming is uh, back then uh, you're premium might have been like $150 a month or less. So you get a 10% increase and it was $15. Well now, that same or equivalent similar coverage, your premium on that is now $600 a month. So if you put in a 10% price increase, it's, it feels much larger. So, but no, price increases, I remember a 30% price increase we had one year. Uh, many, many years ago, well before any of the, the more recent things. Uh, so it's constant. Uh, we have good years, we have bad years, uh, but there's nothing significantly different in the last five or six years, I don't think, when it comes to price increases. Okay, but we still keep going up, we're not going the other way. We're not going that way, okay. we never will. So with that in mind, what type of cost containment features do you have in the plans that are offered here? Well, for one thing, that the high deductible health plan is definitely a cost containment uh, because the employee is sharing a much, much larger portion of the cost uh, for the, the care provided than in past years. Uh, but we do have networks, so they, there's by encouraging people to use in-network benefits uh, as opposed to outside, uh, that's a, a um, a driving factor. Uh, I've seen co-pays. We've started, on, we still offer some traditional plans. I don't have many people taking them, but increased uh, participation like in co-pays over the last few years have been quite dramatic from where they used to be. 
um, especially on prescriptions and uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, probably increased uh, take looking at the reports, uh, finding out where our costs are actually coming, the, the claims data. Uh, overall, we're a pretty healthy, healthy crew, so uh, I haven't seen anything that's going to help me specifically. Uh, it's just kind of random here and there, but that's something I definitely want to take a look at. So if I'm seeing any trends, we can uh, start doing more to try to head that sort of thing off. We just talked briefly about prescriptions. Right. Okay, one more acronym we've heard is PBMs. Right. What does that stand for and what does it actually mean? Okay, it's pharmacy uh, benefit management and uh, it is uh, having uh, an extra set of eyes overseeing your benefit program in regards to prescriptions. Uh, it is being more in, you know, setting other standards uh, before certain prescriptions can be filled and is there other options looking? Do we need to do a step program here? Do you need to try this other drug before you can uh, advance to using this more expensive item? Uh, so it's something more and more uh, organizations are moving towards. Uh, I don't have a outside source doing this for me but through our medical plans uh, it's definitely something that is very uh, closely looked at where are the costs and, and, and how can we keep those costs as low as possible but while still making sure that our employees and their dependents on our plans are receiving the proper medical care getting the drugs that they need uh, to, to stay healthy or get better. It's really a balance of trying to maintain and contain the cost, but mm -hmm. making sure that your employees and their dependents have access to what they need to be healthy. Correct. Exactly. Okay. okay. It's a fine line that you're walking there. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Talking about that a little bit, there has been, at least to me, watching the media, mm -hmm. an uptick in really being open and speaking about mental health. Yes. Is that a program that you offer here through your firm? Or if not, could you at least speak about it? We don't have a special carve-out, but there's definitely mental uh, health benefits included in our medical plans. And another uh, item that we do have uh, is actually through our life insurance uh, company, is we do offer an employee assistance program. Uh, for all of our employees where they can have access to trained counselors either 24-7 uh, on the phone or in-person uh, visits, uh, um, a limited number of those. Uh, if the situation is more critical, then it's not going to be fixed in three visits. Then they will work with our medical provider to transition them into something longer term. Um, but yes, uh, mental health is definitely on the uptick, um, it's been we've been touched here personally within the last year with some some situations that um, it really brought it to the forefront for us that this is an important issue and and something that employers probably do need to be a little bit more involved in than we historically have been. And I think socially, it's becoming less of a taboo subject yes. to talk about, which now brings the employers into at least a seat at the table to have the discussion. That is, that is correct, yes. It's losing some of its stigma uh, that was associated with it in the past. 
which is a good thing. Yes. You've been doing this for quite some time. Yeah, a little while. What's your projection? Where do you see this industry and healthcare going just in the next five years? That is so, so hard to say. We are sort of at a, a turning point here. We just don't know which way it's going. Um, the Affordable Care Act has been much under attack. It is still in place, somewhat in tatters. Uh, but from employer point of view, that hasn't doesn't really affect us. Uh, live or die, we're going to keep offering employee benefits. Um, the, the costs, though, are alarming, and what we are seeing, uh, what we're hearing is happening on the marketplace. Is that going to be affecting the prices that we are seeing here on the uh, group side? I, I'm not sure. I hope not. Um, but I think the trends are going to be more and more what we've been talking about here with the high deductible, the consumer-driven health plans, uh, and making sure that uh, people are more involved in making their own decisions on, on what is the right treatment for them and, uh, and, and, and controlling the cost themselves. So I th that's the big trend I see going forward is more and more people, as they do become educated, because it's scary. When, I'm, when you're talking to someone that is a $5,000 deductible, that's scary. And that's why that I start off when I'm explaining it. That this is the, I'm going to tell you about the scary plan, and I'm going to take the scary out of it for you. Uh, so, but all of those others out there who uh, need to figure out that scary plan and why the scary plan isn't so bad, uh, I think we're going to see more and more people figuring out that it's not as scary as they think it is. What advice would you give someone else who is an HR professional? who might be looking to change up their plan mm -hmm. or starting a company with a new plan? I think, first of all, you, got to, you need to get to know the needs of your employees. What, what is your employee base? Um, find out what is important to them uh, because you can design the best plan in the world, but if it doesn't meet the needs of your employees, uh, you've just wasted a whole lot of time. So number one, you've got to get to know what it is that they need or what they think they need, because again, that might be part of the problem. They think they need this. Um, and then just there's so many options out there. I guess number one, you find a good broker, somebody to work with who knows their, their stuff. Uh, they're going to help you figure out what your, what your employees' needs are, for one thing. Uh, and then work with them to design it, uh, get to know your market. What are, what are the others in your, uh, whoever your competition is, what are they offering? Uh, and then what is your philosophy? What, do you want to be a benefits and compensation leader? Do you want to be a part of the pack or do you want to be one who trails behind a little bit? Uh, there's not one of those answers that's gener generically right, but where, where is your philosophy? Where do you want to be? And then from there, uh, you, you'll be able to figure out what's going to work best for your organization. Thank you for listening, and be sure to check out all of our podcasts at SEIC.com.